Chapter 4 The Maiden Ball Player One delightful afternoon we took ourselves to a public garden outside the town. A really magnificent park it was, lying close to the high banks of the Ganga, with a shady group of trees, large lotus ponds, marble summer houses, and jasmine arbours in which, at this hour of the day, life and bustle reigned supreme. Here we were gently rocked on a golden swing-seat by the attendants, while with ravished hearts we listened to the lovesick notes of the coquilla bird and the sweet chatter of the green parrots. All at once there rose on the air the merry tinkling of anklets, and instantly my friend sprang out of the swing and called to me, Look, Carmenita, the fairest maidens in Kosambi are just approaching, virgins specially chosen from the richest and most noble houses, come to do honour to the goddess who dwells on the Vindhya mountains by engaging in ball games. Count yourself fortunate, my friend, for at this game we may see them without restraint. Come, we must not miss our chance. Naturally, I waited for no second bidding, but made haste to follow. On a spacious stage, decorated with precious stones, the maidens appeared, ready for the game. And if it must be acknowledged that it was a rare sight to behold this galaxy of fair young creatures in all their glory of shimmering silk, airy muslin veils, pearls, sparkling jewels, and golden bangles, what must be said of the game itself that gave to all these gracious figures such varied opportunities of displaying their wealth of subtle beauty in the most charming of positions and movements? And yet that was, as it were, but a prologue. For when these gazelle-eyed worshippers had entertained us for a considerable time with games of many kinds, they all stepped back except for one, who remained alone in the centre of the jewelled stage. In the centre of the stage, and in the centre of my heart. Ah, my friend, what shall I say? To talk of her beauty would be an audacity. I should need to be a poet like Barata himself to conjure up to your imagination even a faint reflection of it. Let it suffice that this maiden, with the gentle radiance of the moon in her face, was of such faultless form and glowed in every feature with the freshness of youth that I felt her to be the incarnate goddess of fortune and beauty. Every hair on my body quivered with delight as I beheld her. In honour of the goddess whom she so perfectly represented, she soon began a performance worthy of a great artist. Dropping the ball easily on the stage, as it slowly rose, she gave it, with flower-like hand, thumb slightly bent and tender fingers outstretched, a sharp downward blow then struck it, as it rebounded, with the back of her hand, and caught it again in mid-air as it fell. She tossed it in slow, in medium, and in quick time, now inciting it to rapid motion, then gently quieting it. Then, striking it alternately with the right hand and with the left, she drove it towards every point of the compass and caught it as it returned. If you are acquainted with the mysteries of ball-play, as it seems to me from the intelligence of your expression that you are, I need only tell you that you've probably never seen the Churnapada and the Gita Marga so perfectly mastered. Then she did something that I'd never seen and of which I'd not even heard. She took two golden balls, and while her feet moved in a dance to the tinkling of the jewels she wore, she made the balls spring so rapidly in lightning-like lines that it was as if one saw the golden bars of a cage in which a wondrous bird hopped daintily to and fro. It was at this point that our eyes suddenly met. To this day, O oh stranger, I do not understand how it was that I did not instantly drop dead to be reborn in a heaven of bliss. It may well be, however, that the fruits of deeds done in a former life were not yet exhausted. Indeed, this karma from my wanderings in the past has, it seems, carried me safely through various mortal dangers down to the present day, and I trust it will do so for a long time to come. But to return, at this instant, one of the balls, which had hitherto been so obedient to her, escaped and flew in a mighty curve down from the stage. 
Many young men rushed to seize it. I reached it at the same moment as another richly dressed youth, and we flew at one another, because neither was willing to yield it. Owing to my absolute familiarity with the tricks of the wrestler, I succeeded in tripping him up. But he, in order to hold me back, caught at the crystal chain which I wore round my neck, and to which an amulet was attached. The chain snapped, he went crashing to the earth, and I secured the ball. In a fury he sprang up and hurled the chain at my feet. The amulet was a tiger eye, not a specially precious stone, yet it was an infallible safeguard against the evil eye. And now, just as his enraged glare landed upon me, I was without it. But <laughs> what did that matter to me? Did I not hold in my hand the ball which, a moment before, her lily hand had touched? At once, as any highly skilled player should, I succeeded in pitching it with such an accurate aim that it came down just in front of one corner of the stage, and rising again with a gentle movement, it landed as if tamed within the reach of the fair player, who had not for a moment ceased to keep the other in motion, and who now wove herself again into her golden cage, amid the wild jubilation of the crowd of spectators. With that, the ball play in honour of the goddess Lakshmi came to an end, the maidens disappeared from the stage, and we turned our steps homeward. On the way, my friend remarked that it was fortunate that I had no business to conduct at court, for the young man from whom I had captured the ball was no less a personage than the son of the minister of state, and everyone had noticed from his looks that he had sworn undying hatred to me. That did not move me in the slightest. How much rather would I have learned who my goddess was? I fought shy of asking, however. In fact, when Somadatta wanted to tease me about the fair one, I even affected perfect indifference praised with the language of a connoisseur the finish of her play, but added, at the same time, that we had in my native town girl players at least as skilful, while in my heart of hearts I begged the incomparable one to pardon my falsehood. I need hardly say that that night brought no sleep to my eyes, which I only closed in order to be possessed anew by the blissful vision I had seen. The following day was spent by me in a corner of my host's garden, far removed from all the noise of the day, where the sandy soil under a mango tree ministered a cooling balm to my love-tortured body. My only companion being the seven-stringed vena to which I confided my longing. As soon as the lessening heat permitted my going out, however, I persuaded Somadatta to drive with me to the public gardens, although he would have greatly preferred to go to a quail fight. As it was, I wandered through the whole park in vain. Many maidens were there, and all engaged in games, as though bent on luring me with false hopes from one spot to another. But that unsurpassed one, Sri Lakshmi's very image, was not among them. Bitterly disappointed, I now pretended that I was possessed by an irresistible longing to go to enjoy the strangely fascinating life of the Ganga. We visited all the ghats, and finally got into a boat, in order to become one with a joyous flotilla which every evening rocked to and fro upon the waves of the sacred stream. I lingered until the play of light and the golden glow of evening were extinguished, and the blaze of torches and the glimmer of lanterns danced and whirled on its glassy surface. Then at last I was obliged to give up my silent but nonetheless passionate hope, and I bid my boatman steer for the nearest gat. After another sleepless night I remained in my room, and in order to occupy and relieve my mind, which was still utterly possessed by her image, I sought with the aid of brush and colour to transfer to the wooden panel on my wall her fair lineaments as I had last beheld them, when dancing she had struck the golden ball. I was unable to eat a morsel, for even as the chakora, with its exquisitely tender song, lives only upon the rays of the moon, so did I live solely upon the rays that emanated from her, whose face was as the moon in its fairness, although these came to me only through the mists of memory. Yet I confidently hoped that this evening, in the pleasure gardens, they would refresh and vivify me with all their glow and radiance. 
Alas, I was again doomed to disappointment. Afterwards, Somadatta wished to take me to the gaming tables, for he was as passionately addicted to the dice as was Nala after the fierce goddess Kali had entered into him. I feigned tiredness. Instead of going home, however, I took myself again to the ghats and out onto the river, but to my unspeakable grief with no better result than on the previous evening. She was not there. <laughs>